follower of Jesus Christ. So this is a few years ago. Uh, I was in an unhappy place, a very unhappy place. And in those days, one of the consolations that I had in my life when I wasn't in a good place or a place that always made me feel better was the uh, Olympic Mountains. I grew up in that part of the state and loved to hike in those mountains and have lots of really wonderful memories of uh, those mountains. So um, in, in search of some consolation in my unhappiness, I went on a hike, and it was actually this time of year. It was really dry. And uh, I hiked to a, a, a ridge that I had never been to before, and I didn't plan my water thing very well. And uh, I remember that. I also want to say, though, that I, I had my New Testament with me, and this was, again, before I um, discovered who Jesus was, and I was, I have to say, pretty confused by his words. And if you, it's kind of funny, I mean, this is my experience, I don't know if it's true for all, but until you actually uh, kind of kind of meet him, his words don't always make sense. And then there's still, you know, things you've got to figure out there. But it was really puzzling. I remember being on that ridge that night trying to read and make sense of his words. But what I, the point I wanted to make is I, I didn't bring enough water, and I ended up drinking out of something I shouldn't have... Uh, I, I, it turned out okay, but there was this puddle of brackish water there that I had to resort to in my desperation. And I had no ill effects from that that I know of, you know, I don't know. Maybe that explains some things. But, um, but that metaphor, it's a metaphor. I mean, it, it, if you listen carefully to your life, you can see there's times where I was in a very lost and unhappy place. There's that water. I'm very thirsty for something more. And here's this bad water in front of me that I'm drinking. And that, that would pretty much describe that part of my life. And uh, I don't know, if you find yourself in that place today, maybe that, uh, that story will uh, relate to you. But we're going to be in this series for the next three weeks called Thirsty. And um, Thirsty for God. These are three psalms. This, today is Psalm 42. And then next week will be Psalm 143. And then the following week will be Psalm 63. All three of these psalms have this language of thirst. And it's really it's thirsting for God. Using physical thirst as kind of a way to point towards something more than physical. A, a spiritual thirst for God. And the psalmists uh, give us great language for that. And my, my hope is, and I include myself in this hope, that our hearts would be open to God in, in a, maybe some new ways as we explore these psalms of thirst. Um, and I want to give you, we're, we're going to be doing some, a little, some different things. One of the things we want to do is give opportunities for prayer at the end. And we're going to actually have prayer up front, so uh, that's a little different than our, our normal culture here. But hopefully, um, if you feel led, you'll feel... Uh, that opportunity is there for you as a gift from God. And these cards, I'll be speaking to you a little bit more as we close, but these next step cards, um, if, if a prayer comes to mind, even as, as I'm speaking, I'm, I'm good if you write that down on here because we might want to bring that later before God. So there you go. Um, I want to read those first two verses again because they, are, they get us going and they're wonderful. They, they paint a picture in our minds. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. You can picture a, a deer that's really thirsty, looking for water. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet 
with God. And what this, what this verse brings out, at least as, as I reflect on it, for me, is that I know that most of you would say, I believe in God. But is there a gap, at least sometimes, that is between your belief in God and your experience of God? And that gap is thirst, or that, that would be a good thing if it was thirsty to close that gap. There's other things that can fill that gap as well. And uh, you know, we put other things in there that distract us. But this, this gap creates a thirst in our lives. And you can see it here in the psalmist. So what I want to do is explore that, that gap a bit this morning. And um, we may have a lovely screen up here, but I'm not getting my thing to work. Here we go. Uh, the causes of the thirst... Uh, and then the depths of the thirst, and then just a couple of real practical things that are in the psalm that might help us in our, in our lives of prayer and, and um, finding God, quenching our thirst in, in God. All right, so um, the causes. I want to focus on uh, two, co- or two uh, areas of cause. One is the external things that are happening in the psalmist's life that we can pick up on in the psalm, and then the other one is the in- internal stuff that's going on. We've got to look at both. So... Uh, a lot of psalms will give you a, uh, an event in the life of Israel that has caused a calamity and there's a big crisis. We don't have that in this psalm. There's no invading army. There's no uh, bad guys that we can see. Uh, neither is there a big sin that the, the psalmist has done, you know, something that he has done that's produced all kinds of guilt in his life and he's got to bring that before God. We don't know really why there's this gap uh, in the psalmist. We'll get a hint of it in a little bit, but I'm gonna, that would spoil the story if I go there right away. So um, he does have enemies, and the enemies are there, but they're not the ones who have caused his problems. They are just happy to see him unhappy. And if you have those, those are the worst enemies, right? People who are happy to see you unhappy. Uh, He does have those. And it seems like God, and this is, just think about this for yourself. It seems like God has allowed something to happen in his life so that his thirst will increase. Has that happened to you? Doesn't that seem like God? That he allows something to happen in your life. I bet you can think of something that has happened in your life where your thirst for God goes up. I've got a real simple one from this, from this week. So um, last week I told you I, have a, a, I pulled a hamstring. Well, I had to get an MRI this week. And it has nothing to do with a hamstring, so basically I'm falling apart. Another, another body part, my shoulder. Okay. And um, I had forgotten, I had an MRI once before in my life, and it was so long ago, I'd kind of forgotten the whole routine. And it, the noise stuff, and, and I remembered the thing where you have to go into this. Uh, if you're claustrophobic, you do not want to have an MRI. And I didn't think I was claustrophobic, but as I got there and, and the, she, the person was explaining all this, I just started feeling really anxious. And I I actually verbalized that to her. I said, I am feeling really uneasy right now. And she kind of, you know, said some things. And I I took a couple of deep breaths. That always helps, you know, do some of that kind of stuff. And I said, okay. And then she went away and I said, okay, this is time to pray. I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray, you know. And so as I started going into the MRI, I just prayed for God's grace to... uh, Surround me in a way that was bigger than this machine thing going on. And that's a, that, I don't know what hell is like, but if it's anything like an MRI, I don't want to go there. <laughs> and, you know, you're in it, you just stuck there for 25 minutes or so. And um, hopefully I'm not, if, if you have one coming up this week, come up later and I'll pray for you. Um, 
but I, what happened was my thirst for God went up. That's my point here. My thirst for God went up. I became thirsty all of a sudden for God. Because I knew that, you know, sometimes your body just isn't reacting in the way that, it, you know, we're complicated beings, these human things we are. And, you're, you know, you're, your mind says this and your body's saying that and you've got to kind of make it all work together. And that's, I just prayed, oh Lord, you know, in the, the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer and some of those scriptures that uh, bring His promises more sure to our hearts. So the thirst for God goes up. God has allowed something to happen in his life, some external condition, and we're not exactly sure what it is. Internally, we can read from verse 3, and this actually gives us a clue for what's going on, verses 3 and 4. My tears have been my food day and night. Well, men say to me all day long, where is your God? But my tears have been my food for me. He's basically saying, I haven't been able to eat and I haven't been able to sleep. When you can't eat and you can't sleep, there's, there's something inside of you that's going on. It's really, this is really hard. He's being ridiculed by people, we know that, but there's something deep within him that is not at rest. And then in verse 4, he says, he remembers the good old days. Uh, this, actually, my line from last week, I, I could use it again. Nostalgia isn't what it used to be, but here it is, you know. He remembers, he has a nostalgic memory for what has been in the past. I remember as I pour out my soul how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. He remembers the, uh, the good old days where he was probably a priest who was leading a, um, a festival in Israel, and he's there at the temple. And the temple, this is the, one of the keys to the psalm, the temple is the place where God dwells in a way that we would not understand. There's only one temple in Israel. In fact, there's only one temple in the world during this time, and that is where God dwelled in a special way. Even though the whole world was his, but that temple was special. And so the presence of God, which is exactly what he's after right now, he can't seem to find it, uh, was near to him then. And you might think of a time. So th- for those of us um, who've, who've walked with Christ for a while, there will be those, those mountaintops and there will be those valleys. And you may have a special time in your life where you had a special group of Christian friends or a, maybe a college experience or something, something where you were just really moving with God and you felt God's presence on a daily basis and you woke up and each day was the special gift from him and now that just seems like a f- just way in the past you still believe in God but the experience of God there's this gap in your life and has that gap created more thirst in you is the question that this uh, text raises for us the bottom line for the psalmist is that he feels the absence of God and he yet at the same time he knows that God is the only one that can hydrate his soul His soul is dry. Do you have a dry soul this morning? If you, basically, if I ask the question, do you have a dry soul, if you're honest and if you're sort of functioning as a normal Christian in your, uh, in your life, you have had an experience in the past where you've had a dry soul, you are dry today or you will be dry in the future or all three are true, which is true for me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not super dry right now, but I know I've had them in the past and I know I will have them in the future. It is just part of the life of God. It's normal. So we, uh, let me, to, to uh, make the case that how normal it is, I'm going to use two examples from the Old Testament. 
And one would be Moses and the other would be Elijah. These, don't they count as spiritual giants? Moses and Elijah. Moses, the great lawgiver. Elijah, the great prophet. These are, these are men who had super experiences with God, like you would say, if, if I had that kind of experience, I would never doubt God, right? Moses was up on the mountain, and there he was. He's the only one that spoke face-to-face with God, whatever that means. But uh, <sighs> Moses came to a place as a leader in Numbers chapter 11, if I can go there. Moses prays, and this is, he's praying, now, so remember, this is a prayer. It's part of his prayer life. And he's speaking to God. If this is how you are going to treat me, you might say that to your spouse sometime, but this is Moses speaking to God. Then put me to death right now. By the way, Moses was not suicidal. This is a prayer. There's no, there's not, he's not going to, he's not, I want you to hear that. There's no sense that he's going to take his own life. But he's praying to God that might as well take me now. And Elijah something similar. It's so interesting. This is, Elijah's prayer is right after he has his great uh, victory, the biggest victory of his life when he defeats the 400 prophets of Baal who were bad guys. And then he runs off and he gets depressed. And in that running off, he says, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. And this is not that song, take my life and let it be. This is take my life. It's, uh, yeah. Well, these are, these are two spiritual giants, and they got in a place of desperation. You might say depression. And their thirst for God may not be as great as their frustration with God, but they understand what it's like to be in that place of dryness and things are not going well. Well, uh, the next question I wanted to get to, and this is, I hope you can follow me on this because I want to deal with one of these phrases. The phrase is deep calls to deep. And that just sounds deep, doesn't it? So can you, I'm going to ask you to, to pretend like you just had a really strong shot of coffee here because this is going to take a little to follow. Um, if I get to that next slide, well, um, yeah, the depths, thirst. This, this comes out in uh, verses uh, 6 and, and 7, so let me read that for you. My soul is downcast within me. The word downcast there means bent over double or crumpled up, if that helps you to understand how the psalmist is feeling. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you, O God, that's God, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. I want to get that photo up there. This is uh, Israel. And so just to give you a sense of geography, because it's important, this is Jerusalem here where the temple was, where he had had, he mentions in verse 4, he had a wonderful experience uh, leading the procession, going to the temple. That's where the temple is. Mount Hermon is way up here, about 150 miles away. And so apparently, he's up here now. And that's causing at least some of, this is what I said earlier, there's a little bit more going on externally. We don't know why he's up here, but he's up here. And uh, then he says in verse 7, and this is where we get our phrase, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. 
if I can get that, from the Jordan. This is the upper Jordan River, which would be near Mount Hermon. It comes, the Jordan River starts on Mount Hermon and comes down towards the Lake of Galilee, where we hear about Jesus all the time, being at the Lake of Galilee. But this is the upper, this is before it gets there. Uh, uh, and it, what you notice here, I, I, it, because the text says waterfalls, so I brought this up, and I'm going to leave it there. Just imagine he's looking into these waterfalls, and then it, it, something really weird happens uh, in the, in the uh, text, and he says that, uh, because he, he mentions waterfalls, and then he goes to all your waves and breakers. Waves and breakers, what do you think of? The ocean. So looking into, using the imagination, and we're going to get into the Hebrew imagination here, but the Psalms are rich with imagination, and somehow looking into the waterfalls that come down from Mount Hermon, he thinks of the ocean, the deep ocean. And so scholars, this is where we have to do a little, uh, you know, we're not exactly sure, but kind of the best we can do. And scholars talk about this being a reference to Genesis chapter 1, so the first chapter of the Bible, the second verse of the Bible, and the Spirit of God hovered over the deep waters. And now, the Hebrew mind, so this is that group of people that God chose to work with, the Hebrew mind in the ancient world, we have this you can see it all over the Bible, but they are not a seagoing people. They are a people who, when they hear ocean, they cringe. If you are an animal lover, they were more of a cat than a dog. You know how dogs love water and cats tend to, you know? So they're, they're very afraid. So when they think deep and ocean, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, deep, the Spirit of God hovering over this, they're thinking, they're thinking unfathomable, uncontrollable. Uh, this is scary, risky, dangerous. This is like going into an MRI or whatever. It, it's, it's just you're not sure you're going to come out of it. And uh, that's their, their mindset. And what, there's, what the writer is saying is that that's... That's the deep is God. That's the first deep. Deep calls to deep. The deep part of God that I have no control over is going to call to the deepest part of me. And if you think about the deepest part of you, and I'm giving you a great compliment right now, and myself as well, I guess, but you're not a shallow person. You're only a shallow person when you aren't who you really are. You are a deep person. And, and it's, it's developing that depth and seeing, I mean, you're created in God's image and you have, you know, I mean, psychologists will, will, can go on on this for hours, the Freudians especially, but there are deep, dark places. There are, you have a subconscious, you have all of that stuff, but even more theologically from the Bible, we can say that the heart of man is, we don't understand our own hearts. There's so much to us. I've been married to a woman for almost 40 years and she still surprises me. And I think she surprises herself. I surprise myself sometimes. I didn't know that was in there. Whatever it is, you know. So we're, we're deep people and we're kind of scared to get into that area of our lives. But here's what the psalmist is saying. If I'm going to go deeper, if I'm going to get out of this rut, this, if I'm going to close the gap, if I'm going to become thirsty for the real God, I'm going to have to be thirsty for the deep God. I would prefer to pray, oh God, may your shallowness speak to my shallowness. You know? That would be my, my preference. That's a lot safer, but we're talking about the unfathomable, uncontrollable God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you can't always figure out is going to speak into the heart of me that I can't always figure out. He's got a thirst for that. I mean, there's something going on here in this guy. 
that maybe is a clue for us. We, uh, you know, just uh, we would probably prefer just a shallow little prayer like, God, I just want to do something religious, and then I want you to, because I did that, I want you to bless me, right? That's kind of the, the, the agreement, isn't it? Isn't that the deal we have? And the God of the Bible says, no, that's not it. Not like that. So he begins to thirst for whatever it is he needs, the deepest part of himself exposed to the deepest part of God. All right, uh, what I want to do right now is just give you two ways that the text shows us pretty clearly to move forward, to get out of that stuck place, to get out of the dry, parched land of our souls. Hopefully these will be helpful to you. The first one is to talk honestly with God. And you see the psalmist here, he just pretty much says, I'm thirsty and I don't feel you. I don't feel your presence. I believe in you, but I do not feel you. Where are you? Is honest talk with God? And we find that in the Psalms, we find people who are angry with God. God, I'm angry with you. We find people who doubt God. God, I doubt you. We find people who uh, just aren't exactly sure who God is. And so that prayer, that honest prayer of God, I'm not even sure you're there, but is a starting place to get our, uh, some traction in our prayer life. In verse 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? He accuses God of forgetting him. So we have these honest prayers that come out of uh, this. And, you know, this is, just, this is my own experience. And, and as I've, when I get kind of stale in my Bible reading, it tends to go along with my staleness with God. And I you know what I always say is, I've got to go back to the Psalms. The Psalms are that one place I know I can go and find a starting place again, a, a reset button for me. Does that work for you? I mean, it's where you find this honest voice. That, you know, you, you just know you're going to find it there. Because there's people there that feel exactly like you feel. And you take those feelings that you have towards God that aren't exactly scrubbed and well washed, and you turn them into prayers, and God seems to love that. He gives us these psalms for a reason, to teach us how to pray. And sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm not even sure God hears my prayers. I'm just praying into the darkness. Well, have you ever been in a, recently I was in a new place, and it was at night, and you know, in the middle of the night you have to do something, and you wake up, and it's totally dark, and you don't know where the door handle is or anything, right? Well, what happens if you just keep your eyes open for a little bit? You start to see. And it's just praying into the dark, eventually you start to make things out that are really there. And you can find your way to where you need to go. Uh, Here's a a line that I've used so many times in my life. You can act your way into right feeling much better than you can feel your way into right acting. It's so true. You can act your way into right feeling much quicker than you can feel your way into right acting. The second thing that comes out of the psalm, and then we're going to close and give opportunity for prayer. The second thing is, 
he talks honestly to himself. So he talks honestly to God. And then we have that refrain. We find it actually in verse 5 and verse 11. It's repeated twice. Verse 5. Why are you downcast, bent over double, crumpled up, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's talking to himself. So it is, ta- you know, you, maybe you talk to yourself and people think you're nuts sometimes. You know, you're in the grocery store or whatever. Can't find the mayonnaise. You talk, you know, whatever. But healthy uh, self-talk is, we know that's a good thing. And it's really good to listen to yourself, to the deep, you know, you're, you're, you're that deep person, right? To really listen to what's going on inside of you. And he does that here. And in listening to himself, he, ha- he, he discovers that he's put his hope in something other than God. In verse 5, put your hope in God. It seems like this is kind of the, the thing that he discovers about his heart. But he doesn't just leave it there. You know, if you just listen to your heart, you might hear somebody complaining all the time. A whiner. Or... A, a scaredy cat or whatever it is. I mean, it, so listening to your heart is good to, to get this, this sense of I'm going to really listen to what's going on down there. And he does that here. But he speaks to his soul, it says. And the way I would define the soul is your operating system. It's always running. That's a Dallas Willard description of that, but I like that. And how do I speak to my soul? How do I speak to my operating system? How do I, is there another part of me that could speak into that? And that's what he does here in, in saying, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? He's finding that, 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 deeper, that deeper place. And in that deeper place, in verse 9, he refers to God as his rock. And it's like he's standing on that rock in the midst of all of the unfathomable, uncontrollable chaos and things that are going on in his life. He stands on that rock and he says from that rock, oh my soul, why are you so in despair? So honestly speaking to God and honestly speaking to ourselves. And uh, he discovers that God is the one he can hope in. Now, just one thing as we close, and that is that when you get to the New Testament, Jesus uh, says, one of the things that we would love about Jesus is that he says, I am the living water. So those, when we say we're thirsting for God, we have a picture of what we're really thirsting for in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the best thing we can do is to expose ourselves to the person of Christ. I mean, that's such an advantage that we have with the New Testament. But I want, I want you to think then of coming, uh, as, as we end this with prayer, of coming to that living water. The one who will never dry up the one who uh, satisfies the soul and to put our hope in him. So let me, let me just pray and then I'm going to give you some instructions on how we proceed. Jesus, I pray for all who are thirsty and we together would say with this psalmist that being thirsty is a good thing in that it creates this wanting to be closer to you. For all who cry out in thirst, be the living water. 
to their souls, come into the deep places and satisfy the longings of the heart. In your name we pray. Amen.